Hey, how's it going, everybody? You're listening to another episode of the Super Mercado Brothers Video Game Music Podcast. Welcome to Season 10. It's awesome to be back with you guys. This is the podcast where we share and discuss the very best in video game music. Of course, my name is Carl Brueggemann. And I'm his brother, Will Brueggemann. For those of you that have been with us for a number of years, you'll know that it's a tradition for us for the first episode of every season to take uh, a more in-depth, editorial-esque look at a specific topic in video game music. And uh, I think we have something really interesting cooked up for today. I'm really excited about this. You guys know in the past we've done things like the Human Touch, Evolution of NES, Five Finger Fanfare. You know, it's timely. You know, we'll just mention tradition. It's tradition we do these episodes. Today we're going to be talking about musical traditions when it comes to video game music. These are tried and true formulas, musical techniques, things that pop up so many times across the history of game music. Either contextual things or specific musical and melodic harmonic devices that Mm -hmm. are used all the time in not only retro video game music, but to this day. I I think it's safe to say that as artists working in a subservient fashion, meaning that music isn't the be-all, end-all of the game experience, you know, it's meant to serve games, Mm -hmm. there tends to be, I think, in instances like that, uh, composers or artists have almost rule books or guidelines yeah. and they'll maybe take specific pieces or um, things that have happened before and have been used effectively and they'll use those as kind of a mantra they'll use it a template if yeah you will. as a template to um, when they're creating their own stuff and honestly the reason we wanted to do this episode uh, is because I kind of feel like in video games more than any other medium there's sort of a liberal and celebrated use of musical cliches and a there's lot of also it is very intentional it almost goes beyond cliche it goes to the point of tradition it feels like right. this is what we do in video games yeah. when we're doing a b c d when we're doing that thing and there's one example that we run into a lot when we were preparing this episode uh and this actually this episode required extensive uh, time and research and preparation so we're really excited to present this because we think it'll be a very unique look at this topic um but what i was going to say is that we run into a lot one huge seminal composer or title doing something very novel and unique and after that a lot anytime any other composer is tasked with the same challenge they use that as a model so that is one example of you know tradition cliche formulas that are used in video game music and there's a lot of other different ways that it yeah, ha- and comes we'll, up. We'll talk more about it once we get into the episode. Uh, yeah. But I think something that was interesting while we were preparing this is I think when we first conceptualized this idea, it was more about pointing out a lot of intentional kind of uh, winking at mm-hmm. specific references in um, you know popular music or other pieces of video game music. But what we noticed is uh, you know because I kind of thought this was more of a thing for the 80s and 90s, early sure. video game music, where there's a sort of symbiosis between uh, composers at the time. But what we notice is even as we move into the current generation, uh, the linkage between old video game music and current game music may not always be there, but any composers scoring in you know in extra musical means uh you know they have their own cliches they have their own um blind spots and sets of limitations so this will be kind of an interesting episode because i say for the most part on this podcast we we like we said we showcase the the very best in video game music and I think it's sort of a disclaimer to say that uh, a lot of the things we're pointing out here today, we're 
by no means are we trying to disparage these games, these soundtracks, these mm -hmm. pieces, these composers. These are things that are not always even unintentional. A lot of times we're just kind of shining a light on the things about them that we see as commonalities between different Well, also, games. I think it's about being objective versus subjective. A subjective way is to say that sounds bad or that sounds good. What we're saying today are these are things that all of us can agree on. We hear these techniques right. used over and over again. And isn't that interesting? Let's explore sure. why that may be. So that's well, what we're going to focus on today. And I think the cool today. thing about... Um, if I, I, I'm kind of shy to use the word cliche, uh, <laughs> but the interesting thing about that concept is that it doesn't really matter if it was intentional or not. Right. You know, if, if sometimes I think there are instances of composers specifically trying to reference something, but other times I think it's not. I think it's two people with sort of the same idea of how to approach something. Exactly. But either way, it does sort of create the culture around that entity and is it becomes sort of and what's crazy is by nature. every time that happens the tradition gets stronger and stronger yeah. and the magnet pulls pulls it in more so and more. I think so it's safe to say we'll we'll cover both good and bad on this so episode. one of the unique things about today is we've we've prepared a lot of montages actually for specific topics that we're going to cover so the first thing we're going to talk about today is a very specific melodic technique uh, a formula that we have noticed in video game music and we've it's talked about yeah, it very we, recently we, we mentioned it we mentioned it recently um, so we made a montage of every time this particular melodic contour pops up in video game music. We'll give a little bit of context before we play this montage here. Well, yeah, it's something that I, I noticed, and I talked about it on our Fire Emblem episode. Correct. Um, how the main theme to Fire Emblem Fates, I, I thought, just felt so reminiscent, almost to the point of possibly being a detriment to the piece. Mm -hmm. It felt so of similar the to... the Bloodlines theme from Castlevania Dracula X. Yeah, exactly. And I felt it was so similar to that, that it was almost to the disservice. And then we were playing a track recently um, from, I think I think it was Bad Dudes. Bad Dudes. And uh, it made me realize, it's like, oh my gosh, this is a very specific uh and I, I don't even want to say melodic contour it's really the melody itself that has been used uh numerous times so i think this should be a fun one to start off with so we're gonna present what we're calling the bloodlines melody montage enjoy interesting that was a montage we prepared we called that the bloodlines melody montage that was all the examples that we could find in video game music when that very specific melodic fragment pops up and it's crazy when you listen to it uh, back to back 
it's really interesting and striking. Well, because what's interesting, yeah, when you hear the the actual theme, Bloodlines, and the theme from Fire Emblem Fates are different enough. Mm-hmm. But the reason why I felt like it, it really, I wanted to talk about it is because in the what we ended with was the N sixty four Castlevania game, correct? And that is pretty much identical to the Fire Emblem Fates theme. And what's interesting is that is intentionally a using... Yeah, it's a callback to musical lines. material. And so if that, the same melody, can be called a callback in this context, <laughs> it can't therefore be its own melody in uh, Which is Fire so Emblem interesting. Fates. What do we call that? You know, it's an important discussion to have. What should we call? What word should we use for if we were to hear this melody come up next year or the year after that, the fifth, the sixth, the seventh time that melody is used in video? Sure games what do we call it we have to have a word for it i think all we can do because those are the kinds of questions that i think are difficult to answer um i i we can speak to it as composers you know there are you are confined by the sheer limited number of notes and you only have so many scale and when you're getting into a specific time and place when you're getting into a specific harmonic mindset or a Mm -hmm. a type of genre style of music and we can say all of these examples were from japanese video game composers that's a specific uh genre i really consider that its own musical style you know there are limitations i mean just like how if you listen to a lot of broadway music there's going to be certain intervallic tendencies that are common between stuff or film music or or any genre that you look at you could do an episode if you spent the time to dive into it and also you know it's worth being said we have a decent amount of examples today but there's probably twice three times as many that we didn't do that we could the reason we, we wanted to touch on this is to me this is not an example of something that's so pure and basic that you know it was unintentional i mm-hmm. really do feel like the influence of all this stuff there is a reason why the composers chose those specific intervals yeah. there's something really effective about yada da yada mm-hmm. da and that's why we played Midna's theme i mean that one is probably the farthest it's probably from the most it. Oddball, it has its yeah. it has its most uh independence out of mm-hmm. all the tracks but there is something about that moving down yeah I'll, a whole step and then moving up with that uh, sort of ginormous this leap. is an episode that actually i might recommend some of you uh you may want to go back, uh, hit the 15 second thing a couple times. You may want to listen to some of these montages more than once. Because mm-hmm. I know for me, sometimes I had to listen to this stuff more than once. Because you might not catch it on the first time. So right. that's so just we'll, a little... We're, we're, um, for the most part, um, this one is pretty straightforward. But for a lot of yeah. them that require more of kind of a theoretical yeah, um, so digestion, in general, I we'll think, kind of explain Yeah, that this is an episode guys. that you guys probably it might require a little bit more uh, attention to really be listening for these things. um, (laughs) It's funny I said that because now we're going to move on to um, another topic. And what we're going to do before we play a montage on this topic is we're going to play just a normal track, one track that we think is a perfect showcase, a perfect textbook example of this trend, okay, of this musical modern video game technique and it's something that i hear more in nintendo games more than any other types sure. of games and i guess what it is is it's it's another melodic technique but it's a very fast chaotic randomness that is achieved specifically with the melody and the tempo of a piece usually for either a fast racing stage, a bonus stage, right. some sort of frantic um, environment. You know, and there's we're going to play a montage as well, but uh, there's there's examples that we didn't even put on here. Oh that yeah, when I was going through soundtracks, I'm like, oh, this would have been so. This for is it. Uh, th- maybe for lack of a better term, the the modern chaotic, random melodic well, sound chaotic, of Nintendo. Busy music has always scored kind of silly, fun things traditionally. Mm-hmm. But I think what Carl's really touching at here is that. 
that a lot of this sounds distinctly it's, digital. It's it fast sounds inputted. And, yeah, in it's very noty. Lots kind of, of notes. Yeah, yeah. noty so, and of our computer age. So let's take a listen to an example. This is Koopa Cape from Mario Kart Wii, composed by Asuka Oda and Ryo Nagamatsu. That was Koopa Cape from Mario Kart Wii, and that was composed by Asuka Oda and Ryo Nagamatsu. And it really is one of the best examples of this particular modern Nintendo technique. Well, and when I thought about this this particular technique, this was the track I We should of. be forthcoming. We absolutely hate this piece. This is, <laughs> we played this on, I believe, one of our bad music episodes. Yes. Um, it's it's I just detest it um, for all of those reasons. And this, But the thing that's important to say is this specific cliche isn't always bad. In this montage, that's true. there's going to be some pieces we play that we, that we like that i'm really a fan of um but i think there is something to you notice like to me i think it started in like the n64 era but yes. particularly noticed it around the time of like super mario sunshine what's interesting is the n64 era was the first time when there was a lot of really popular mario spin-off games mario tennis right. mario party things like that and those games had so many examples of that kind of thing and for whatever reason that kind of stepped its way into mainline yeah, series. Yeah, somehow I, I feel like uh, I, I don't know when this happened but somehow like the vast uh, language that Koji Kondo created for the Mario series somehow got distilled and through a lot of Nintendo games the idea was it's about really fast paced chaotic sure. silliness and, uh, I, and there you are don't really examples, find that in Koji Kondo and we're about to do much. this montage there are examples here uh, where it's it's not that the entire soundtrack for example Mario Sunshine a lot of the tracks aren't like this Great. at all yeah. but there are certain so times that, when it comes up that's the other thing is like th it's also important to mention this is not like we may have said on the before in the podcast like oh this is so bad like oh what did they just like write right. this in an hour mm -hmm. but I do think this stuff is intentional, it's intentional. It's, I, I happen to have it's a chaotic. distaste for it but there are specific musical techniques that are at play here that I think are really intentional so let's take a listen to the fast chaotic montage
some of those examples near the end, I believe, were from the Paper Mario series, which right. is another series that incorporates that. So isn't that interesting? That was a montage of kind of the one of the trends of a lot of modern Nintendo games, that very fast, well, noty melody. One of the later things that you played, to me, definitely had like a Looney Tunes, old like cartoon mm-hmm. influence. And I do think there is, that's some of the idea behind this. Is yes. Like sort of a frenzy to it is is it's to not score really these, anything like, plucky, new silly characters right? yeah yeah I, I think there's there's very um specific things about it though that you see in a lot of nintendo music it, to me the thing that i would say about it is that it seems like these pieces are designed to annoy at some level they're designed some of them. to showcase particular intervals that are displeasing like bam, 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 bam. yes like they're, yeah the they're, tritone they're and very also, dissonant together let's but, talk about the context for example mario sunshine that definitely was written to annoy because when you think about that song um it's it's frantic and it's not really that enjoyable it's supposed to kind of get you on edge and just make sure that you you try your best to accomplish i happen things. to really like that particular one then it's effective because to me it, it has but its like a whenever, unique melodic you know what's crazy? Identity, I think but. that's a very effective piece of music because anytime I hear that, I feel like time's running out. <laughs> I can't listen to that and not be like slightly on well, edge. Well, yeah, see, that one uses like, uh, to me, it's it's the speed and also the way it modulates. Is exactly. It's really frantic. Um, so it's interesting. You know, I don't think we can just say like, by and large that yeah, we... Yeah, to me, a perfect example of it is then... Sure. <laughs> I don't think we can say by and large that we maybe dislike that entire... Uh, tradition, but there are examples of it that we don't like, and there are examples of it that we think are well, effective. They, they do just sound very random and kind of sometimes thoughtless, and mm-hmm. again, emphasizing not very the, worst, the worst parts of it. Like that last one, that's the yeah, ugliest the, part of the melody, I think and that's when it's like doubled. There's something I'm noticing now, I'm something I'm realizing, is it's like the, the opposite of like human music. It's not sure. something that someone would sit down at piano and naturally compose. It's some, something about it feels kind of like maybe Futuristic and it's machine just very computery inputted. Yeah. Okay, so that actually segues nicely into a related topic. One of the things we heard in that montage was a lot of steel drums, right? So let's talk about another cliche in video game music. Anytime you're on the beach, anytime you're in a tropical area of the game, what are you going to hear? Yeah. Harmonized steel drums, right? So let's play a really strong example of that classic harmonized steel drum melody. This is Cheap Cheap Lagoon from Mario Kart 7.
You guys are listening to Cheap Cheap Lagoon from Mario Kart 7, and this game was composed by Kenta Nagata and Satomi Turui. Now, this is actually not a bad piece of music. As far as Mario Kart 7 goes, probably yeah. maybe one of the strongest. Well, and steel drums are a great instrument. The, again, yeah. there's nothing wrong with this. It's just that uh, the use of steel drums in this context, it happens so often that it's, it's, to it's the almost p- like a knee-jerk reaction. Well, like, oh, beach level? Gotta have it steel It happens drums. so often that it almost feels like sacred. Like, if you don't do this, you're gonna be shot. Like, you, what? You're on the beach and you're not using well, steel I think drums? It's, it's what the idea doing? that it's like when something works, you're gonna do it. Because I mean, mm-hmm. the point of a video game composer isn't really to create like really unique, artful things that have never <laughs> been done before. It's about scoring the experience, just like a film composer. And that's why it's like I think composers as a whole, as a community, they sometimes get stuck in ruts. And I do think, for the most part, uh, the use of steel drums in the beach level works really effectively and it mm-hmm. immerses you and there's so many great pieces. But it's worth noting that there are some pieces that bank on just that cliche and right. they try to ride on that and there are other pieces such as you know the Mario Kart 64 the Kenta Nagata theme that melodically right. it could work on any instrument. Well and I think it's also it's different when you're when it's a novel idea when the idea is hey we're a beach level what about sure. using steel drums right. but when it becomes like oh let's do that thing. Exactly. You know, where, that's where it starts to feel a little bit more formulaic and still you can have a great piece of music out of that I mean we did the, we mm-hmm. did that piece like Surfing at Sunset mm-hmm. that utilized all kinds of different like cliches yeah. and we, we've we've capped yeah, on I mean, this I stuff guess before it's if there's not anything, that's unintentional if there's anything I want to leave you guys with today it's that a cliche doesn't always mean that something is bad and I think we can be pretty objective with this like that steel drum in the use of a tropical video game level is a cliche I think we can all agree with sure. that you know and it can be good or bad depending on the piece of music really so all right now let's move on to another topic and this is something we also made a montage for i referred to this way back in episode like eight or nine we did ease part one right uh wonderful series very specific types of music that we hear that yuzo kashiro kind of uh pioneered really we definitely noticed that when we were putting together our falcom episode yes just how similar a lot of that music so really sounds what to i said other. on that episode is i said something called the ease bass rhythm and really what it is is it's a specific rhythmic groove but it goes beyond just the groove it's the rhythms that the bass is playing and it's the context the types of chords the types of tempo the types of emotional um effect that we get so this is the ease bass rhythm rhythm montage and most of the uh uses here are something that's going to go alongside a battle something that's supposed to make you feel like a badass and rhythmically what i'm talking about here is the dun 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 listen for that on the bass and the drums guys this is the ease bass rhythm montage
that was the ease bass rhythm montage ending with maybe the the best example of that and the most famous example that so many people would model their song after obviously right. the dr wiley theme right well and that is a rhythm that comes to us from rock music it's mm-hmm. a guitar i mean it sounds like you're riding a horse i think it, it it developed its identity in video game music i think on the nes because with the three channels a lot of times um, it's melody and harmony or melody and delay. So mm-hmm. the bass was really the only part where that kind of rock rhythm could be communicated. But yeah. the idea of that as a bass and kind of rhythm section groove did become a cliche well, for video game music how interesting, in that specific How context. interesting is this? Two very seminal titles that we talked about a couple weeks ago in 1988, Mega Man 2 and Ease 2, two examples here. We hear, you know, so 1988, around the late 80s, that was such a popular technique. And because it was so effective, and I'm sorry, but Dr. Wiley is one of the most beloved covered video game songs ever. Right. Um, because of that, obviously people are going to use it again. You know, right. it, it works. Keep using yeah, it. Yeah, to me, this is the example of something I'm... I'm I'm remiss to call it a cliche. It's a reoccurring device. Yes. You know, it doesn't have enough of its own character to really be the the sole creative entity in a piece at all. But what was it's interesting just like a chord is progression the, or something. the examples we came up with and that we found for that montage were all so similar as far as how they were using that device to add to this very similar emotional effect, you know? Yeah, I, I do think there is something to... Um, and it's interesting. I mean, it happens all the time in classical music. It happens in popular music. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This idea where eventually something becomes so ubiquitous, we don't associate it as its own artistic expression. It's almost like using a paintbrush, <laughs> you know? It's almost like with yeah. here, it's like they're using the brush of that rhythm. Sure. To, to write the whole, you know, to score the rest of the piece. But at some point, there was a person who first did it, you know? At a certain point, it was invented. It's just like with a lot of classical things where it's like, we hear something again and again and again, mm-hmm. and we, again, we just sort of associate it like it's a tool. But <laughs> at a certain point, there was a composer who did it first. And that's why I think it's interesting to look at that. And to me, it's a way of validating game music as an art form because like other genres of music, mm-hmm. it has its own culture it has its own reoccurring devices it has its own uh sets of uh reoccurring musical techniques well we're going to move on to another topic now and this is something that uh is quite interesting um there is a very cliche famous piece of classical music that is one of the most cliche uh examples in in music I can ever think of as far as the way that it's used in film, TV, video games all over the Mm -hmm. place. Anytime there's a circus, a carnival, or a clown, or anything like that, this classical piece of music called Entry of the Gladiators, composed by Czech composer Julius Fuchik, is used and everybody knows the melody. It's that piece of music and it's just every time you have anything that's in that type of an environment or that type of a feel you're going to use that theme and what's interesting in video games is there are a lot of themes that take that basic idea but make a kind of a new song off of that right well see games are perfect for that games are perfect because especially in the early days um, of video game music there was this idea that you know every piece in the game is going to have a groove it's going to have you know so it's like if you're hearkening to a 
theme, it's still through the lens of this video game piece. It's never so, going to completely divert and be so, all out one um, thing or so another. So a couple of things that are that are very specific about that entry of the Gladiators theme. Again, it's the dun 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 dun. It's chromatic. It's very heavily chromatic. It's the right. most chromatic, famous melody ever. Like it's completely chromatic, and it's so famous, and everyone knows it, right? So it's a car. We're going to call this the Carnival Chromatic Montage, and some of these examples uh, feature it in a section of the song. Some of them are a hundred percent verbatim uses of well, that. And theme. the reason why I really wanted to do this is this is again something unique about video game music. Mm-hmm. This isn't a cliche that's like an oversight or something where it's too many people. This did is it. intentional. It's. I imagine a lot of these composers would use the word cliche when describing this. Yeah. You know, and some of the things we'll play, it's almost cool. Like they say, really oh, cool. wouldn't it be kind of hip or slick exactly. if we hearken to that cliche so, theme in this kind of more rocking piece? Let's take a listen to the Carnival Chromatic Montage. That was the carnival chromatic montage. Those are all different uses in video games when the composer would harken back to that classic, iconic, very, very cliche carnival theme. Well, the theme itself, isn't it brilliant? It's a military march originally. It's (laughs) so brilliant. For some reason, it is brilliant, but I wonder, well, what it is about that, Mel, do you think that got kind of typecast well, to be there's carnival. something about the like just how chromatic it is mm-hmm. um that is really silly i mean chromaticism was used in classical music for so many different contexts sometimes it was meant to evoke death or sadness or tragedy um other times it was used for more of an evocative or romantic color um but i think sure. in this case it's just so clear that it's almost like you see a clown's face like yeah. there's something so silly well, and overindulgent guys, you know about what's it that is really intentional. So the only two examples offhand that we knew of before we dove into that was obviously Sonic 2 and Sonic 3. And we we're like, that's interesting. There's something there, right? When we dove in, almost every single time we found it, the name of the track would be either Carnival or Circus. Right. There was one, maybe it was something clown. And right. that's important. You know, that's really important to, to what we're trying to say about that cliche. Yeah, but because it's like it, the fact that it has such a specific association. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, it's like that stuff was intentional when they were making Carnival Night Zone. I think the yep. idea is like let's make a hip hop piece exactly. that heavily. It's a great idea. The carnival theme. It's you know? a great idea. All right, guys, let's move on to another very prevalent, uh, if you want to say, cliche formula used in not just video games. It actually comes from other media all over the place. This is the use of the spooky theremin, right? Right. Anytime you want to evoke that something's haunted, what instrument are you going to use? The theremin with vibrato, and it's spooky. It you goes use back to melodies. film score from the 1950s. You think of Bernard Herrmann, yes. The Day the Earth Stood Still. It began, it had this sort of association with flying saucers, mm-hmm. and the thing that's and cool about it... And also specific melodic points, right? But the thing that's cool about it 
now is I think at that time it was earnestly kind of creepy and otherworldly, but now we associate it with the types of terrors that are a little bit more stock. And yes. This is another example of video games using cliches in an intentional, almost hip and way. And this is the best example of that. We're going to play a track from Grabbed by the Ghoulies by Grant Kirkhope. Yeah, and we talk about the him game, so tongue-in-cheek. The game you know? is intentionally tongue-in-cheek, and it's perfect. This is a use of the spooky theremin. The track is called Battle with Zombie. You guys are listening to Battle with Zombie from Grabbed by the Ghoulies for the Xbox. This was composed by Grant Kirkhope, and he nailed that cliche so perfectly. And a lot of his music uh, that he's done in his career happens to be scoring games that are tongue-in-cheek, games that have a sense of humor, and that's really important here. Uh, We didn't have to do a montage for this, because I think one track really clearly stays for you guys. You guys know what this is, Well, and I think the thing that is specific to the video game version is uh, I'm sure there's a lot of times in films where they mean to evoke something like this. But it usually it requires a bit more subtlety. Like, yes. first of all, this isn't an actual theremin. An actual theremin no. doesn't just sound like a sine wave. It has a more complex timbre, and it sounds... The reason it's so creepy is it falls in that uncanny valley of sounding kind of like a voice, but also kinda sounding digital. synthetic. But what I notice is most of the time it's used in video games, it's a very cartoony version where it's just a sine, just a sine wave, wave with portamento and a lot of vibrato. I mean, to me, you think of like Luigi's Mansion or mm-hmm. something, you know, where it's, you just add some it's using a it. lot of like classical spooky, again, chromatic, but kind of cliches in terms of the harmony and then a presentation that's very again tongue-in-cheek and it's unthreatening you know this is a way to communicate something spooky without actually exploiting like legitimate creepy yeah i guess one thing we need to add is it's not just spooky it's goofy spooky at this point in 2016 using that it's silly well and as great as all that tongue-in-cheek stuff is to me it just shines a light on what makes composers like koji kondo so fantastic it's like he's writing music for cartoony video games he's really sort of the godfather Mm -hmm. of game music in many senses but he almost never exploits cliches like this you think of like I don't know, the ghost house theme from Super Mario World or the yeah. stuff from Mario 64 where it's not just like goofy creepy, it's legitimately scary and dissonant. He takes it so seriously and that's why I think it's like yeah. just because you're doing a cartoon doesn't mean you have to evoke cliches. It's just a way of kind of it's one way having, to showing that. like an intentional you know wink to the audience. Well, I'm excited to move on to this topic. Now, we're going to play, we're not going to do a montage here. We're going to play two track examples, a very strong examples of this. We've talked about it so many times on the podcast you guys are hopefully very familiar with this and if you're not well hey we're gonna we're gonna educate you a little bit here this is the specific use in video games retro video games uh usually of the dorian mode to evoke that timeless epic nobility that quest that noble quest in rpg games right yeah i think it's heroic because when we at least in our modern context when we hear the modes it we associate it with you know medieval times and old folk music and there's something about that where there's this 
real sense of just kind of like the folksy everyman. Um, in there's a human there's something side about to that it, yeah. that is very heroic and also triumphant and because it also feels kind of old and ancient there's this power of it that is perfect for almost like fables like telling a and story. we're going to play examples from two snes games that are both rpgs and this first one that we're going to play um i really wanted to use because it isn't just about using the dorian mode it's the specific way that it's voiced in the fact that in terms of instrumentation it almost always seems like it's trying to evoke a specific kind of folksy yes quasi Gaelic element. And because, it's something you know, that's so familiar to gamers. Films use the Dorian mode all the time but it feels like modern and big and yeah. epic. You know, this is this really is the sort of sillier, mm -hmm. fun... This is definitely something to be said in video games. Let's take a listen to Mario RPG Beware of the Forest Mushrooms. Beware of the Forest Mushrooms, composed by Yoko Shimomura for the SNES game Mario RPG. And that is a very clear, strong, wonderful example of using the Dorian mode uh, to come up with a theme that feels heroic, timeless, definitely medieval. Well, and for me, what we wanted to point our finger on, I mean, I think modes in general feel sort of ancient and heroic, but with this one, it's not really just the mode. It's the kind of that mixed with the oom-pa-pa yes. structure with the bass and also the heavily ornamented melody. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it really sounds like an old flute yes, or recorder. Yes, it sounds performed part. like a flute player would actually be performing that. And actually, the context of the next track is a very similar... We wanted to get the same effect. So it's, again, it's that ornamented kind of flute-based performance. Yeah, it's secular folk music from, like, the <laughs> Renaissance or the medieval era. Well, if you guys need another example, we're happy to oblige. This is another example of, of that same thing we're talking about. It's from Ease 5. This is Stormy Town, composed by Miko Ishikawa. That is Stormy Town from Ease 5 for the Super Nintendo, composed by Miko Ishikawa. What a great example of that. One thing that's so unique about this use here is it feels modern because you have the drum kit. Right. Yeah, this is one where it's, grooving it up. it's kind of a, a mixture of the two. Kind of like, a, I don't know, I think a lot of earlier video game music does that where it's not so heavily committing to 
uh, a style. It's still within the safe confines of like a groovy rocking video game yeah. piece. This one not necessarily rocking, but still having the modern rhythm section. It's that way of saying slightly detached from the thing they're emulating, which is one of the things that why we even wanted to do this sure. episode because there's like a self-awareness to that. Yeah, and if anyone's not familiar, the Dorian mode has a raised six. So that raised six degree of the melody is what is making this so striking. And that actually is actually giving most of the effect of that nobility, of that heroic kind right. of hero quality. Well, it allows you to essentially have, um, it's, and I know that some of that stuff might be confusing when we're talking about scale degrees, but if you're better with chords, uh, think of it is it's like minor, but with a major four, with a major four chord. Mm -hmm. So that's how we're able to get them. Because sure. in actual minor, it would be ba 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 ba. Sure. And it would have this sort of like gloominess to it, where there's something there's something hopeful. There's about something Dorian. really cool about Dorian, where okay. it's able to be minor and still yet hopeful. So okay, this is this is a really really important one, maybe the biggest one to talk about. Okay, and we're going to talk more about it. Um, in a little bit here. Okay. This is an example of a desert piece of music. Oh, gosh. When I think about um, maybe my most hated cliches in video games, one of them is stereotypical Arabian-sounding desert music. Yeah. Um, and banking just off of that, there's so many games, and I will be honest, a lot of them Nintendo games, uh, where that happens... And it's the one piece of music that I don't like, and maybe even a good soundtrack. You know, you get to the desert level. Oh my gosh, this right. is just going to be annoying. This, um, this isn't an ex like necessarily an extreme case of that. I mean, this is, I guess, a serviceable track, but it's very, I, it's a very, um, it's a textbook example of right. video game desert so music. There's, yeah, there's specific things about um, desert music where, to me, that that's the one that sticks out the most as being a cliche, mm -hmm. just because since it's so specific evoking an ethnic type of music there's something offensive to me a little bit about it that right. it's so heavily parodying and mo a lot of times it's just instrumentally a lot of times they'll be like tablas or something um, but for the most part I would say it's not just instrumentation but it's also the use of an Arabian scale well let's take a listen to this example from New Super Mario Brothers Wii which was composed by Shiho Fuji Ryo Nagamatsu and Kenta Nagata uh, this is Desert Theme
Well, we just got on Yoshi here. This is the desert theme from New Super Mario Bros. Wii, composed by Shiho Fuji, Ryo Nagamatsu, Kenta Nagata. I think it's a pretty clear example of what we're talking about. If on the weird, rare chance that you don't know <laughs> what we're talking about, anyone who's played a desert level is probably going to know very well the musical cliches that we're talking yeah, about here. I, I think the thing that's um, particular about this one is that it's not super authentic. You know, it's no. not just using the Arabian scale. I mean, there's a lot of just kind of like major um, chords and stuff, but it, the moments where it does it are very cliche. But other than that, it's the instrumentation. And again, the reason why this is insulting to me is this kind of goes hand in hand a little bit with that earlier Nintendo cliche where it's like they're scoring the annoying parts, you know, <laughs> like the, the parts of the melody that aren't super pleasing. Those are the parts that get the most emphasis. It's almost like to me, it sounds like it's intentionally composed to be irritating. And that's what so yeah. bothers me about it, that it's in the Mario series where it's like it the Mario music me. is some of the most catchy, enjoyable stuff. Well, I think out it bothers there. me particularly when it's in the Mario series because I just think back and I'm like, Koji Kondo would wouldn't have done that. So much more subtle, right? He would not have done that. And also, you know, when it comes to the Mario Kart series too, uh, you know, Mario Kart Double Dash is a good example. I remember getting the game on Christmas in 2002. Um, and the music was fine. I was enjoying it. There was nothing that took me out of the experience. I got to the desert level and I was like, what is this garbage? Right. The desert music in Mario Kart is so annoying and yeah. like probably one of the most extreme cases of what we're talking about. Um, but it's it's kind of unfair. We, we've already played two examples in our, in our episode today from the Mario Kart series, so we don't want right. to harp on that too much. But okay, guys, that segues nicely into something very related to what we were talking about, ethnic stereotypes. We made a pretty epic montage here, the be-all, end-all ethnic stereotype montage to end all ethnic stereotype montages for video game music, right? And there's so many, you know, there's so many different cultures that you can tap into depending on, you know, okay, here's an example, Street Fighter 2. Every different stage is in a different country. And one of the things that was done in the late 80s, early 90s is, okay, let's try to make music that's stereotypical of that country. If you're in Russia, it'll sound right. like this. If you're in USA, it'll sound like this. If you're in China, it'll sound like that. So, this is a montage consisting of a bunch of different ethnic stereotypes. Each one's lumped together. So we start with one, then we move on to another stereotype, and then another. So hopefully you guys can follow along here. This is our ethnic stereotype montage. Here we go.
Well, isn't that interesting? That was a pretty epic ethnic montage that I'm really proud of. I, I don't know if anyone's ever put together something quite like that for video game music. It covers every really stereotype we could think of. And just to recap, if any of you want to go back, that is something I might suggest. Go back and listen again. Here are all the different cultures that were evoked on that montage. We had Arabian, and we talked about it, obviously. Most of that is desert music, right? Then we had generic Asiatic Japanese folk. Uh, we had U.S. kind of country banjo sounds. Bluegrass. We had Russian. We had Spanish, African, and French. And then the last thing you heard was kind of like an old school, Amer- early American military. So, march. what is it about video games that, to a lot of people, is just it's so ripe for using stereotypes? And stereotypes are you know the biggest. Is example it because of they take place in different sections of the world so many times? Yeah, I think there's that, and I think video games have always sort of had a tongue-in-cheek quality to mm-hmm. them. The idea, I mean, I don't know, you, you think back to how much they've changed. Like, you think the original Castlevania, where it's like, what's being evoked is horror cliches. I mean, yes. the whole game is about that. Where you think of, like, a modern Castlevania game, it, it would probably be more about the lore, and it would be taken seriously. And, you know, we've gotten mm-hmm. so much more serious just in general in our culture that it's hard for us to relate. And some of this stuff might seem offensive, but I think the context of it being a little bit more silly and self-aware, it's not like they well, had a blind spot. Well, yeah, and here. again, it's important to say that some of those examples were absolutely intentional and maybe comedic. Some of them were pretty darn serious, uh, unfortunately. Um, One of the interesting things is that it doesn't matter what what the composer was thinking, the effect is the same. When we listen to that, I don't think a lot of people would disagree that those are stereotypes. Those are cliches. They're musical well, cliches. I, I mean, I don't want to get too much into this, but there are implications for this. For instance, let's say you you have a game and it takes place in kind of, uh, you know, a foreign country. If the music mm-hmm. sounds super ethnic stereotypy what it does is it's it to me whether it's intentional or not it creates a distinction between if especially if it's like a western audience Mm -hmm. it's sort of that like oh no you're this person in a foreign world and it's this strange culture where if the music sort of doesn't do that where it's not trying to play it for cliches it it, it makes the location seem just like any other sure. place in the world, like a normal... Where, where when you evoke cliches and intentionally utilize exoticism to, to make something feel different, video games have, a I think, a strong power to kind of indoctrinate or subtly you know change people's opinions or perceptions yeah, about culture. I think culture. there's some truth and to that. And I think that. there's probably a lot of unintentional stuff that makes it... you know you For example, you think of like Dalzim, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like it's such a stereotype, it's offensive, you know. Yeah. And it's like to a lot of kids, though, they probably thought, "Oh, that's what India." You know, you have mm-hmm. elephants, and sure. you know he has some weird. He says yoga, and he can extend his arm, <laughs> and he does flame. magic spells. Like I mean, that that stuff is so kind of crazy, and you could never get away with something yeah. like that now. But this is it why happens it's like, so many this times. Is made, like, when something is made by adults who have actual knowledge and understanding of the world, and they're doing something as a joke, but then it gets in the hands of children who don't understand who that don't it's a necessarily joke. know. Well, that. there's I so mean, many think... games where even in the soundtrack that happens, like even something like Outrunners, where every stage is a different country, and guess what? The musical cliches are very apparent. Because if you're in Germany, it's like some sort of like classical, like right. Mozartian thing. Well, and, and I then... think also, even if it wasn't meant to be silly, I think there was something fun and exciting about the feeling of, hey, look, you get to go all around the world. They weren't really realizing sure. that, 
you know, maybe it's not the most subtle thing in the world. Well, now we're going to move on to another topic, and this is something that we're really excited to present. We've talked about this before on the podcast. Before we share this montage, the topic we're calling it is one, four, five, four. It's a very specific type of chord progression and use that is almost exclusive to video games, and it's so apparent in video games. Will, before we play... Particularly Nintendo and Mario. Will, before we play this montage, could you play an example for people of what this chord progression is? Thank you very much. So now we're going to present, keep that in mind, that is the sound you guys are going to be looking for. Uh, We're going to present the 1454 montage. That was the one four five four montage. Pretty extensive. I I think I want to be a little bit more specific because I think it would just be awful like if we came on this podcast and just play a really common chord progression and call that a cliche. But the thing that we're pointing out here, and again, that's why I feel like cliche isn't always the best word to use. But it's a very specific because it's not just the chords; it's also the voicings. You know, one four five is considered one of the most common chord progressions in the world, but most of what's happening here. Is, it's a pedal. It's, yeah, it's on specific the inversion where um, the one of the one chord mm-hmm. stays the same, and so you have the top two voices of the chord moving up by step and then back well, down. One thing I want to say is, if you guys hopefully noticed, and you may have to go back and listen, we played three examples of the minor key variation of that, which utilizes right. the Dorian mode. Now, the major key variation, the biggest thing specifically to this progression and it's not a normal one four five it's not that because that bass pedal what you're basically implying when you move to the five right. is a major, seven, a major chord. seven chord see that's the interesting thing since it has such simple voice leading it actually evokes mm-hmm. a more complicated harmony and that's i think one of the reasons you don't hear it a lot in other types of music but now you guys can listen for that and i'm sure there is Tons of other examples in video games well, where in, that's in out what there. we played, it's not all the exact same voicing, but pretty much everything we played does have that major sure. seven quality to the five, mm-hmm. and sometimes even more. Sometimes they'll add, they'll be like an add two or something. But well, that to was me, fun. it's like the reason why I want to talk about that is because it's not just specific to video games. It seems very specific to Nintendo. I'd say most of the things we played either came from Mario games or Nintendo games. Well, now let's move on to another topic. This is something that I would just kind of wanted to research i had some thoughts in my head that there were definitely some cliches and some similarities but once i dove in i found just a lot more specifics than i imagined so shop music right anytime you're buying something from a store in a video game right shop themes what i discovered when i listened to 
tons and tons of shop themes from every era is that there was a very specific musical technique that was used for shop music. One thing I noticed is how sparse the music is, a lot less instrumentation than most of the other tracks in the game. But specifically, I ran into this chord progression, this whole step movement of taking one chord progression, let's say you're in F major, moving a whole step down to E flat, moving back to F, or maybe F moving a whole step up to G, back to F. That kind of constant movement where you feel kind of like you're floating, you don't really know right. what key you're in. Well, when we talked about it before with the flat six and flat seven, where it's mm -hmm. almost sort of like barring from Mixolydian or some other exactly. Mode. So but yeah, that oscillating between the two, it and what sort it does, of obscures it, where the home it kind base of, is. It's like you're not quite comfortable in this shop, but you're also you're able to stay there for a long time because it's never resolving, right? So it's it's effective when you think about the context of the game. Let's take a listen to this shop themes montage. you guys enjoyed that that was the shop themes montage every single piece of music you heard in that montage featured a chord progression that was only isolating between two chords that are a whole step apart yeah every sometimes it, it starts on uh it starts on a chord and then moves up mm -hmm. modulates sort of a whole step it's something that uh, to me that type of harmonic movement of moving between two chords that really first started to emerge um in kind of like early 20th century music it happens mm -hmm. all the time in film music i mean you think of like bernard herman but uh, a lot of what would be considered um impressionist composers like debussy yeah. ravel Faure, uh they're kind of associated with where it's like it's not so much about having you know we think of classical music as being um you know all these sort of intricate chord progressions and voice leading to get us to the dominant to get us to the five and then so back you're to the saying one. it's not like it's just a four or five kind of thing it's yeah. almost like it's a mode really it's really well to me yeah, it sounds like mixolydian i mean for the ones that are major some of these well, are isn't minor, that interesting but... it's like you can do it where it feels like oh no this is four five four five and then maybe eventually you hear a one or right. if, if it never gets to the one there are times when it feels more like mixolydian there are other times when you can do it like like minami matsumai where she had like major seventh chords of right. each one and she actually she did a dun dun 
Dun, right. She went with a half step and then another half step. Well, yeah, I think the, the the idea of like oscillating between two things, you know, if you have three, there's sort you can anytime you have three chords. Um, well, I mean, if you're just doing two major chords right next to each mm-hmm. other, it is hard. It's like where's the one? Sure, it could be four and but five. But that's the whole point. It could be one and is, a flat is seven. That question of where is the right. one? That sense of of floating around is perfect for shot Where music. If it if it went down yet again or went up yet again, you'd exactly. be clearly in a mode or. Be you know, like as far as like a popular use of it, there's a band that I can think of that so many of their songs consist of nothing but just those types of chords. G, F, G, F, back and forth the entire song. Sublime. Right. A lot of their songs consist of just two whole step major chords and that's it. Well, yeah, there is something about that. And to me, again, it just sounds like Mixolydian. Um, but there's mm-hmm. something about that Mixolydian that's just very sunshiny. It's sure. very pure and positive, And it allows for that oscillation between those two chords. I mean, I think it's something... What's cool about music, since it's so finite, is a lot of the th- same things will be come to from completely different ways. I think the reason that happens a lot with Sublime is because, you know, guitar music, the idea of parallel moving chords mm-hmm. is really simple to play with bar chords. And exactly. so you get that kind of movement it's an idea time. that's intuitive writing music on guitar, maybe um, more than piano. But yet, if you were to explore it on the piano or mm-hmm. with like a classical idea, it becomes more, you know, modal or you have to think about it in some complicated way. Well, we're getting close to the end here, guys. This is a really interesting topic that Will um, is going to tell you guys a little bit about. I guess the best way to describe this topic, we can just say it's the 16th note formula. Will, is that the best way to describe it? Yeah. I mean, I don't even know how much of a formula it is, um, but to me, it's something that... Uh, I associate for the most part with Castlevania. Yep. Um, and I think in that context, it really had sort of a classical influence. Um, but it happens a lot in video game music. And I think it's really um, trying to evoke two things, the classical influence, but also guitar centric writing in pretty much every example I'm going to be playing here right now is the idea where it's um, a really frantic 16th note arpeggiated passage where the lower note it's sort of oscillating between two notes the, the lower, lower note, one stays the same mm-hmm. in the upper one is moving up and so down guys, kind of i challenge a you melody listen out for that see if you guys can listen out for that the a really fast series of notes the lower note always stays right. the same the top note changes now again I'm, I'm trying to be very specific about this because if you get too broad you you run the risk of like labeling something unfairly that really doesn't have anything to do with it but this happens all the time within the castlevania series and it's clearly referencing itself. A specific track. Yeah. I think it's referencing, starting with what you guys are going to first hear, Bloody Tears from Castlevania 2. Let's take a listen. that final one was a really strong example of that. Right. This is uh, that final one you're, you're hearing is from Castlevania Bloodlines for the Genesis. Well, to me, um, its context in Castlevania is really trying to evoke 
like organ music. Mm -hmm. It's the kind of thing that happens a lot with organ. Preludes. Um, yeah, it, it's something that sounds more busy and complex than it is to play because you just have to keep one finger in the same place and the other finger moves up and down and you get this wavering effect. But it happens all the time in Castlevania. But guys, and it happens in other soundtracks. Yeah, one too. of those examples wasn't from Castlevania. Yeah, Batman and Actraiser were two of those examples. Yeah. So uh, I, to me, I think with that more about like you think of also like. Um, in guitar writing, a really fast riff where one finger can be held down on its place on a mm -hmm. fret in the string and the other can be moving up and down. The thing that's cool about this technique and I think why it was used so often in video game music, when you think about the limitations on the NES specifically, but mm -hmm. really all of the 8 and 16-bit hardware where you have a strict number of voices, that technique is a way to sort of, it tricks your brain into thinking that you're hearing two separate individual lines sure. that are almost syncopated with one another when in reality you're just hearing um, pitches in a sequence so it's a way to really busy up the texture um, and provide almost chord harmonic support the other thing that's cool about it, and the reason why I didn't include a lot of things where it's just almost like triads moving up and doing that oscillation, is because there was something really specific about one of the voices staying the same and one of the voices that moves that has this, to me, Baroque, like classical connotation to it. And in in games, it just sounds like Castlevania. And so the reason but why I would call it a cliche is because when it's used in other games and within the series itself, it almost is like, oh, it's a Castlevania game. We gotta yes. have a deba deba. It's a cliche, definitely. But it doesn't make it bad. It's it's, it's wonderful. Awesome. It's yeah. really wicked and super radical. Well, now we're gonna move on to something that I was also very interested in: uh, the idea of tradition formulas when it comes to cave music, underground themes in video games. And what I found after I did a lot of research and listening is that. And what I'm presenting today is just a specific kind of thesis on one kind of facet of cave music. Well, and the thing that we have to acknowledge is it's like, really, you said the word underground as though it's like a type of location. You can thank Super Mario mm -hmm. Brothers for the fact exactly. that that's even a thing. So, you know what I mean? How many so people basically, would associate, like when you think of like films or any other type of storytelling, underground, is that even like a, that's not even a location we would associate. Well, what, what this is, is this is showing the very large influence of one particular game composer one series, Super Mario Brothers. In this case, I'm going to be playing two different examples. One is obviously the Mario Brothers. I'm using the All-Stars version of the underground theme. And then you're going to hear tracks that are very inspired by that idea as far as having the bass be kind of the lead instrument, the use of space, the use of, at times, a tonal ambiance. And then I'm going to play an example of Super Mario World's underground theme, and you're going to hear the specific use of that type of a marimba with a lot of harmonics. So again, it's just everyone's yes, following exactly. So let's take a listen to this cave music montage.
That was the cave music montage trying to show the significance and the influence of Koji Kondo in the work that he did for underground themes yeah, for I the mean, Mario series. You just can't, you can't overstate that man's importance. I mean, for video games and Nintendo and Super Mario Brothers in general. Well, wasn't um, that interesting? I you, we heard clear examples that were very using, very heavily modeling their piece of music off of. Yeah, I mean that that Mario. one piece that I felt took it too far was when those chords came in, those pad chords mm-hmm. that were essentially just outlining. Um, if you were to examine um, like the underground thing from Super Mario Brothers and mm-hmm. attach like triads to it, sure. that's what this was doing. It was just doing it in chord form as opposed to. Uh, but yeah, I octaves. found that interesting because the first thing I found was obviously okay. Big surprise! A lot of cave. Th- and by the way, every single thing you heard was a cave theme in a video mm-hmm. game. Every uh, you know, the first thing I found was okay. Yeah, very bass heavy, slap bass, sure. and not much else. And I knew that was going to happen. But then I started to find very specific <sighs> examples of that same type of a marimba sound, right. but it's like Low extra marimba. harmonics on it. Right. Well, the thing that I think is interesting, I mean, the reason it sounds like extra harmonics is when it gets in its low register, the sure. overtones are easier to pick out, you know, but it becomes so a tradition. Like, right. for example, modern the thing games though, that do we that. have to examine, though, is it's possible that all of these were really using the original Super Mario Brothers as either a template it's possible or an influence. They weren't. But yeah, I really think a lot of this comes down to sort of an innate gut reaction by a lot of different artists. Mm-hmm that come to the same conclusion and what is it about either the underground setting or the cave environment that makes us have some association to mallet percussion low yeah. mallet percussion the use a of lot delay, of ambience yes. i mean i Dripping think sounds we think of darkness obviously as opposed to light in a cave and so i think there's a sense of mystery the kind of obscurity of the beat and not knowing when something is coming in i think that's meant to kind of associate when you're in a cave you don't really know until you get right up next to the wall where everything is and i think the kind of spacious ambient nature is meant to reflect the sound acoustically of that space you know in a cave the cliche is echo echo echo." well i just thought it was interesting because i in my kind of similar to when i was doing that shop montage in my head i thought there's definitely something there but once i explored i I found that there's a very clear well, I think that's tradition. what's been fun and insightful about us doing this episode is that a lot of these things are things that we've been meaning to talk about and have already mentioned a great deal But now deal we on can show. actually show and, and prove that right, but cave music is, is a specific thing in video well, games. Right, and then there's other instances like this where we kind of almost learn about something. Yeah. You really have to compare things and put stuff side by side to notice that influence. So the last thing we're going to share is um, not a montage, but one particular track that we think sums up a lot of modern film score cliches that have seeped their way into video games. Okay, This is a track from Call of Duty Black Ops 2. This is Anthem, composed by Jack Wall. A few things uh, that, that we want to talk about uh, for this track. Probably the, the number one modern film score cliche and I've heard this talked about at the most recent MAGFest, is the use of the vague um, kind of ethnic female singing without really any right. words um, to just kind of convey some sort of sense of tragedy. Well, talk about, to me, that's the perfect example of a cliche because that is something so specific yeah. and so unintuitive. We'll do a little, before we play, do a little uh, impression of what that is. Uh, 
<laughs> yeah, with a lot of reverb. Kind yeah. of thing. So that's one thing you're going to hear. And then basically another thing is is just kind of very heavy on the taiko drums, well, very I mean, percussive. This is fun to talk about because there's a lot of film music cliches. And again, these things become cliches because one composer, you know, at a time, the first person who to ever do that, to do that ethnic female singing, they were probably like, oh, this is really artistic. I'm really stretching, you know. Some people think from it other was genres. potentially... Um, some people say Hans Zimmer in Gladiator. Sure. You know. But that, again, Hans Zimmer is a perfect example where it's like when he does it for the first time, it's novel, it's original, and then everyone else follows suit. Right. And it almost becomes its own style, the Zimmer-esque kind of ostinato-based yeah. groove kind of rock orchestra style. So let's take it, listen to this example of some modern film score cliches in video games. This is from Call of Duty Black Ops 2. Guys, thanks so much for joining us for this very interesting and unique exploration of traditions, formulas, at times cliches in video game music. I, both Will and I, had a really good time uh, exploring and researching into this topic and sharing this with you guys. Something, yeah, w one thing I wanted to say, uh, again, just a disclaimer that just because we played a track on here does not at all mean we don't like it or that we're disparaging of these techniques. Correct. In fact, we've actively participated in these before when working on you games. You can't not do and that. And I think the reason why we were okay with doing this is video games are such a unique medium because I think unlike um, other types of music, they embrace and openly use cliches in a tongue-in-cheek way more often than happens ever in like film it's or television. It's a big part of why game music is, is cool. You know, a lot yeah. of the things that we respond to in classic game music, you could call those things cliches too right uh so i mean it's important to, to talk about the good and the bad we didn't shy i was happy that we didn't shy away from kind of being critical on some of the things uh you know i think there are times when cliches are, are just banked on to the point where that's the only thing about the piece that is interesting or it just, it's sort of a product of its time you sure. know there's a new piece of technology or a new thing that's in vogue you know that year that you know that decade that we look back on and be like why was everyone doing this specific thing i mean 
that's it's interesting. Kind of, you know, that's people. That's humans. We, we like to follow. We're followers, you know? Yeah. This is, I don't know, this is a very interesting look and, you know, kind of keeps our streak going of starting off each season with a different way of thinking about video game music. Yeah, you know, hopefully you guys enjoyed it this. Uh, hopefully we weren't too distracted by the sound of a fan at the time of recording. <laughs> it's so hot it's today. It's blistering. It's almost 100 degrees. Oh my gosh, we had so, to have that, yeah. Yeah. So hopefully that wasn't too distracting. Yeah, thanks so much for joining us. We're pioneers in a new season, season 10. It's kind of crazy. We've hit double digits for our season count. Absolutely crazy. A couple of reminders. You guys can head on over to iTunes and subscribe to us there or leave us a review. You can follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, and subscribe to us on YouTube. Uh, really at cool. Bros is at our Mercado Twitter Bros. Mercado Bros. Yeah, a really cool uh, video interview version of the Manami Matsumai uh, conversation was posted to our YouTube channel yeah, and we have a lot of exciting to all things of coming you up. for um your incredible support uh i mean even specifically about this latest uh manami matsumai episode yes. that was something we were so excited to get to share with you all and so we're glad that you've been enjoying it and we do have a patreon if you're um, interested in supporting us there we'd really appreciate it all right guys my name is carl brueggemann and i'm his brother will brueggemann have a great week everybody and we'll talk to you next time peace out peace out